Welcome to Quantum Leap. We're the podcast that explores how we achieve new heights in leadership, business, and life. I'm David Wolf, as always, here with the Quantum Leap Catalyst, Terry Ostroviak. Terry, welcome back. Thank you, David. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. So, in a word, today we're going to talk a little bit about delegation. Yes. In fact, when we talk about uh, Quantum Leap, one of the things that keeps popping up the whole time with me is that when people talk about making quantum leaps in their lives, uh, especially if they are used to working alone, they don't realize that the nature of the kind of work that they do that's required to create a quantum leap almost changes their whole environment from one of being a sole proprietor, let's say, or a sole professional or an entrepreneur where all the spotlight is focused on the one individual they they get the limelight themselves mm-hmm. rather than than seeing it in a broader perspective. Now, if somebody wants to create a quantum leap, invariably they have to be in a position to, uh, to, to, to create allies around them, people that will assist them with things that they, may, they personally may not be very good at doing themselves but are absolutely vital to their success. For instance, uh, one of the areas could be uh, the financial side of, of the business. Not everybody who is very outgoing and who has entrepreneurial ability and wants to be in the limelight mm-hmm. at the same time embraces finance. So it would be very important for somebody like that to have a financial specialist working with them. So to create, for instance, a virtual uh, a virtual uh, financial assistant would be an important area. Or today, even more relevant, would be something like creating social media virtual assistant because many of these people don't know very much about that either. So when we talk about delegation, it's not so much uh, just dumping the job on somebody else. It has to do with enrolling people in a vision or in a purpose where they buy into the idea themselves and feel that it's really worthwhile for them too. In other words, they feel it's almost like their business as well. And they they may be quite happy to allow the initiator of the exercise to be in the limelight. They may be quite happy to be uh, in the background doing a lot of the support work themselves, mm-hmm. but, they, but they're not going to be in the limelight to be able to do that, but they could be very good in their own uh, in their own sphere and sort of bask in the limelight of the of the uh, the person that is is under the microscope. So really, that's what I wanted to talk about today. Beautiful. I mean, many years ago, I personally had become uh, very good at doing the job that I was in. I did a lot of public speaking. I was uh, doing a lot of PR at that time, uh, meaning I was using an outside person that was was very, very well versed in making sure that that I got some publicity and that uh, there were articles being written. And public relations is a very important part of the way that I operated, as opposed to advertising, that is. Mm-hmm. And so I was very happy to have him around and help me to and, and wrote articles for me. And I noticed that uh, that quite a lot of, of very, very well-known people do embrace people with skills in allied areas. Now, where does this all come from? Let's talk about that for a moment. Mm-hmm. A number of years ago when I was in the Netherlands, um, 
the manager of the operation that I was working with, whose people I was coaching, told me that one of his managers was very, very good at his work, but was burning the candle at both ends, not getting home in time, was actually an American living in the Netherlands and was feeling really uh, stressed out and anxious because he was spending so much time at work. And so he asked this man to give me a call. Let's call him Joe. Yeah. And Joe, Joe called me and he said, Terry, you know, and he told me exactly the same thing that his, that his boss had told, told me. And that was that he was working very, very hard. And I said to him, Joe, let's go through a process for a moment. It sounds to me like you have a number of people in your team that could handle quite a lot of things that you're doing and maybe take chunks of your time uh, away from uh, chunks of work, let's say, away from you that would leave chunks of time available for you to do the things that you really should be doing as a manager. So I said, all right. He said, that's fine. Let's try that. And so I said to him, Joe, give me an idea of one thing that you love to do in your work at the moment that takes up a lot of your time and uh, you spend uh, you spend this time doing that job, but in fact, possibly could be done by somebody else with a little bit of with a little bit of training. So he told me exactly what the thing was. I can't remember exactly what the what the what the function was at that moment, but right. he wrote it down. I said, "Would you be willing this week to talk to this this uh, person, this colleague of yours that works in your team, and ask him whether he would take over that?" peace. Mm-hmm. I said, very, very important as you do this, that you're not just simply dumping a job on him that you just don't want to do. It actually is something that you enjoy doing yourself. And in other words, this person that you're working with, this colleague, would see that as a forward step for them, almost a challenge for them. They thought about it for a moment and he said, yes, that would could possibly work. I said, all right, now, would you be willing this week as a project to go to this particular individual and tell him exactly how you feel about this and ask him whether he could take over that piece. Now, very, very importantly, you're going to have to make sure that the ground rules, the conditions for making sure that this job is done to your satisfaction are actually being met. So I said to him, what would you have to tell him? What would you say to him? So we went through a kind of, I wouldn't call it a role play, but it was like a practice session where he used me as this particular individual and he asked me the questions. Questions like, when do you think that you'd be able to manage to set this thing up in practice so that it it works, so that you can know that you have done it correctly? So I gave him a time and he said, well, maybe maybe you'd need an extra 30 minutes on it or maybe you'd need an extra day on it. I said, fine. Yeah. So we settled on a specific day. We also talked about the conditions. Where would this be done? How would you go about doing it were some of the questions that he asked me. And once we had been through this series of questions and everything that he could think of and the other person had answered I had answered as though I was being delegated to. Um, He said, okay, I think that that would work perfectly. And he went out during that week and he did delegate that specific function. Now, here's the key. The key is that we do not delegate a task to be achieved. We delegate a result to be achieved. Ah, ah. 
Yes. If we delegate a task to be achieved, it means that we're going to be micromanaging somebody. Mm-hmm. We're going to tell them how we would go about it, but it may not be the way that he would go about it. So as long as you think forward and you think about what the end result would be and you say, this is the end result that I'm looking for. I'll give you a a very simple example. If we wanted to make sure that a room was tidy and was set up for a meeting, we wouldn't say to him, I want uh, the the five tables, let's say, with uh, four chairs at at each table uh, set up in a specific way. Uh, we wouldn't necessarily do that. What we would say is, on Thursday, we've got a meeting with about 20 people. We've got, we probably will be doing a meeting with uh, needing about uh, five tables, and uh, probably there'll be some working material have to be on the tables. And you, you, I want you to think about that yourself. How would you go about making sure that the room was perfectly set up for that particular group on that Thursday at 2 o'clock? That would be an end result. And then he would say to them, okay, now how would you go about doing that? How would you do the setup for it? What do you think is the best way? So here's the point behind it. In the planning stage, the person that's being delegated to actually is involved, emotionally involved in the setting up of the process, giving him the feeling that this is a a job that he's planning out himself. So he's, he's engaged in it, emotionally engaged in the exercise as it, rather than simply uh, being a, a, an assistant worker for the boss who wants it done in a specific way and he just feels like a, I don't know, I sometimes use this phrase, like a spare part in a mousetrap. Yes. <laughs> and this is very akin to some of what you've talked around the subject of even building culture in companies with employees. They have yes. to buy in. You talked about it in terms of engaging a group in the group dynamics. They have yes. to be a part of this, the idea construction, the the, the strategic piece, and, and understand it contextually in a bigger picture uh, for exactly. the business as opposed to just carrying out various tasks. Uh, and as you mentioned, uh, the, the the entrepreneur, the, the owner of the business in this instance would be more inclined to micromanage them around how they would do it rather than giving ownership to the entire idea of the end result. Right. So that would be the idea behind it. And thanks for bringing that up. I'd, I'd forgotten that we'd originally talked about it in relation to culture, setting up a culture yeah. in an organization. But it actually starts with the individual manager mm-hmm. working with each individual employee or staff member and actually creating that kind of environment. That's where it all starts. Mm-hmm. And then it moves on from there. So this is what he did. Within one week, I, we, had a, we had another meeting, and I said to him, well, Joe, what's going on? He said, I can't believe it. I'm sitting here, and I'm looking at the headlines of the newspaper today. I, I, I seem to have a few hours on my plate available. I, could, I can't believe that this worked so well. He said, not only that, I've done it with a number of people that I'm working with, and I've started to think about how I could help them to challenge themselves more and get more enjoyment out of their job because nobody wants to be in a job where it's just mechanical and repetitive and there's no stretch involved in it. Everybody wants to feel that they're growing and developing. And he said, so I started to think of things that would be helpful to them. And uh, I looked, I'm looking at them in a completely different way. And so, once again, as we talk about delegation, 
it actually takes the focus off us. Now, here's the, what's the reason that we try to keep the focus on ourselves? It very, it, inevitably, it's a, it's a kind of attention-seeking device to make sure that we are being seen as the special person who makes sure that everything works or everything runs in that particular function and that everybody will know that I'm the prime player and I'm the superstar in the piece. In fact, I'm almost Superman being watched by my staff um, and, uh, and, and they all applauding me for how brilliant I am <laughs> rather than getting the job done with me. And so I've given everybody an opportunity, this is what Joe was indicating to me, where they could be in the limelight and they could feel like the superstars and we'll get the job done and whether I get the kudos or not doesn't really make any difference anymore. Well, it's interesting. So about, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, Terry, go ahead. We talk about it. it it's, it's, it's actually a stage of evolution in the way we see ourselves. In order to be able to make quantum leaps, we have to get rid of the ego that makes makes everything revolve around us. And uh, I know that I went through this process myself at one stage early in my career. And if I hadn't had a mentor or a coach that actually showed me how to go about doing that, it would have never happened for me. But in this case, it did work very, very well for me. And it also meant that I was able to pass that on in my coaching to a lot of the people that I work with. We've talked about this a little bit offline, Terry. I would imagine that there are some personality types that may not uh, be comfortable or be able to make the transition that you're describing there to being able to delegate to the extent uh, effectively. Is that true or, or can it be learned? It's very hard for a lot of people to give away a, a feeling of, of responsibility for a major part of their job because they feel that nobody could do it as well as they could do it. But the reality is that we can't move forward until we make that adjustment in our thinking in a business. In a business That's structure. Yeah. Sorry. Well, in, a, in a business structure, but it also could be in a family environment. How many times are there children in a family that could take on more responsibility and stretch themselves and grow from being given an opportunity to try things that are outside of their comfort zone? So it starts off with a, with a with sort of a, a mentality that could literally start at home. I mean, it was quite interesting, actually. One of the people that I was working with today gave me a call and he said, you know, I'm having a bit of a problem. I've got a, uh, a contractor coming in to, to do odd jobs around my home. He's repairing or, or fixing up our, our kitchen or our bathroom. And uh, I, I'm not sure exactly how to make sure that he, that he makes the job work or not. Does it mean that I have to be more authoritarian with him than I would be with my employees at, at work? Uh, what kind of style of leadership am I going to be using? So I kind of laughed a little bit and I said to him, well, you've got a manager, first of all, who's, who's the contractor. He's got a whole lot of workmen, a lot of, of whom are not even uh, people that were born in America. So English isn't their home language. So there are a lot of things that can go wrong communication-wise if they don't really understand what the job is. So if you're going to delegate them the job of making your house look pretty, the way you want it to be done, then you'd have to go through some kind of delegation process. And the very thing that I've just been talking about now is what I asked him to try out this week. It hasn't happened yet, 
But uh, I, I, in about a week's time, I'll be able to tell you whether it worked or not. But basically, he was going to do a delegation job on them as well by checking on the person. In other words, getting him to verbalize back to him what they were going to do, by when they were going to do it, how they were going to go about doing it, and, and what sort of standards they would have to meet. And do it by asking questions rather than giving sp- specific declarative statements to them. That was the key to it. But he seems very happy with the with the prospect of doing it. So delegation can be can be used in in all kinds of environments, not just simply at work. Well, I love that. I love the idea that it's really just about human behavior and making adjustments in terms of the system, the ecosystem of a family, of a business, of a larger organization, of sub organizations within a larger organization. It really applies uh, up and down the spectrum. And, uh, you know, part of what I was thinking when I asked that question about can it be taught was, you know, uh, there are certain types of businesses, I would think, or practices or, or individuals that where, where the, the business they're in may not lend itself to creating a system that involves delegation. Uh, that notwithstanding everything you've said about the value of it, but just say in, this, in the case of an artist, or maybe it's in the case of an artist, and I've been in that role as a musician, uh, as a composer, Maybe in those cases, it is, like you mentioned, the business side of it, which is not specific to creating the art itself. That's where the delegation model comes in. It's not so organizational in nature, but it still requires some of the same tools and thought processes, right? Yes. You know, and I was just thinking about that for a moment. I mean, if you look at some of the great works of art from people like Michelangelo over the years, Leonardo da Vinci, there are many, many examples of pieces of art where the backgrounds of a lot of the work that they did was being done by apprentices that were working for them. They didn't necessarily do every part of the painting. They did their really important uh, facial expressions and things of that nature. But a lot of the background was being put into practice by workmen that, that they were that they were training, students. I don't know if you're aware of that, but that's in fact what 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 happened in many instances. I think I have heard about that, and I think Gaudi similarly was uh, yes. had a lot of people yes. working around him too, didn't he? I'm sure many. I'm sure that even uh, um, yeah, Salvador Dali probably you know when he was building yes. stages or sets or something. Uh, it's impossible to do some of the art without the system of uh, delegation. So this is brilliant well, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, in order to be productive, many times they want to be spending their time doing the sort of complicated things, the uh, the things that they the, the parts of the painting that they have the special talent and expertise in. But why waste their their talent, hours and hours, doing some of the mundane stuff that's in the background, where they could use talented uh, students, let's say, who are learning the job that they that, that, that have been hanging around and watching them and uh, practicing stuff, and they could do a lot of that work themselves and make the the main artist, the prima donna artist, uh, much more productive than they would be if they were just working totally on their own. That's, that's right. A kind of yeah, that's really how how the, how the process works. Yeah. Yeah, and and with an understanding that there is a uh, prima donna in the picture, and that's part of your what has been delegated to you is to support that image, the projection yes. of the prima donna, not necessarily the ego of the artist, but the, right. the 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 idea of it and the brand, if you will. So, such good stuff. We need to 
talk more about this in future shows as well, Terry. It's very powerful. And by the way, I just I just did want to mention one other thing. I don't know how it came up. I just I just caught a little piece of Garth Brooks performing at Yankee Stadium, I think, in the last week. And uh, it was raining, and he had a, a really high-powered show, and the place was packed mm-hmm. to the rafters, and people were participating in the process. But what was really impressive to me mm-hmm. was the way that he highlighted every member of his team, every minor artist that was involved, every guitarist, every piano player, or or every drummer was, was involved in the whole process, yeah. and he talked highly of each one and made a point of giving them a moment of getting applause from the audience and giving a bit of background and talking about how wonderfully these people had performed over the many years that they had been with him and making them feel very, very important. And one might say, well, maybe each one of these has a delusion of eventually <laughs> becoming as big as Garth Brooks would be, the, the country artist. But uh, the reality is that many of these people are really getting their, their moment of, of their moment in the sunlight, actually, uh, by being by being part of his team and happy to do that. But one of the reasons that they would be happy to work with him for years is because of the way that he treats them. I mean, you could see the love and caring that he, that he showed for the people that were working with him. And when they came up in front of the audience, you could see them beaming with delight at being able to work with him. So even where you've got a prima donna artist out there in front doing phenomenally well, when you see a person like him uh, giving part of his stardom and part of his uh, his uh, reputation out in front of the audience and, and sharing it with everybody and making it clear that he couldn't have done this on his own and genuinely meaning it, that, that's an indication of a person that really has made quantum leaps. I love it. Terry, thanks as always. A great show again. Folks, thanks for listening and being with us. QLCAT.com is the website to reach Terry. You can always send him an email as well. Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, at QLCAT.com. Until next time, we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Terry, thanks for being with us. Thank you, David. Until next time. 